The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly. And I'm flying solo today. My partner in crime, Carrie Waddell, is playing mom this weekend. So I'll struggle through the next 55 minutes with myself. Are you feeling any inflation pressure? So we've been talking on this radio show for a year, year and a half, trying to get people prepared that we could possibly see some inflation pressure. But over the decades that we've been doing this show, and the estate planning team incorporated has been working with Cleveland families for over 35 years, and certainly over those decades, we've had periods of, not confusion, but debating whether we are headed for bad inflation. People still remember the 70s, you know, and and that's the the ugly S word, stagflation. We'll talk a little bit about that. Some people think we're headed there. Some people go as far as to say we're going to have hyperinflation. I really don't think anybody understands what hyperinflation is. Hyperinflation is where you see prices, you know, 50% increases month over month over month over month. We're not quite there. But there is one man under pressure, and that certainly is no debate, and that's federal chairman, federal uh, (laughs) Jerome Powell. The concept of transitory is really this. It is that uh, the increases will happen. We're not saying they will reverse. That's not what transitory means. It means that the increases in prices will happen. So there will be inflation, but that the process of inflation uh, will stop so that uh, so that there won't be further infl- Wait, full stop here. So Federal Reserve Chairman, he, he, so he's, he's giving us a new or perhaps a more clarified version of what he thinks transitory inflation was. I mean, that's the word that has been thrown a lot around. You know, is this inflation transitory or is it permanent? And so apparently he's now coming out and saying that his definition of transitory is not maybe what we all think it is. So I'm not saying... That I quite get what he's saying. I'm just saying, should President Biden believe what he's saying and give him a second term next year? So so let's see if we can hear his clarification on what Federal Reserve Chairman Powell is talking about when he uses the term transitory. When we think of inflation, we really think of inflation going up year upon year upon year upon year. That's inflation. When you have inflation for 12 months or whatever it may be, I'm just taking an example and not making an estimate, then, then you have a price increase, but you don't have an inflation process. And so part of that just is that if it doesn't affect longer-term inflation expectations, then it's very likely not to, infect, uh, to, to affect the process of inflation going forward. So what, what I mean by transitory is just something that doesn't leave a permanent mark on the inflation process. Again, we don't mean, I don't mean that, 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 that you know, producers are going to take those price increases back. That's, that's not the idea. It's just that they won't go on indefinitely. So th- to the extent people are, are, are implementing price increases because raw materials are going up or labor costs or something's going up, um, you know, the question really for inflation really is, does that mean they're going to go up the next year by the same amount? So you're going to be in a process where inflation, the inflation process gets going. And, and that happens because people's expectations about future 
uh, inflation move up. And we don't think that's happening. There's no evidence that it's happening. All the evidence is that it's not happening. But nonetheless, we have to watch this very carefully because this is, you know, uh, we have two mandates, maximum employment and price stability. Price stability for us means inflation averaging 2%. Right. So he, he goes on and he talks about his the dual mandate of the Federal Reserve. So that's his take. He's still saying that he's not concerned. Well, he's not saying that he's not concerned and he's not saying that inflation isn't here. He still seems to be saying that it's the increases it's not going to continue. He's so I guess he's saying now, clear as mud, right? That the increases we've seen thus far, which we now may be seeing dropping off, it's not that we're going to go back to pricing before that inflation. It's just that that bump in inflation, that beach ball bounce recovery, is end is going to end and. We we may be stuck with the higher prices we're paying going forward compared to the previous, but that doesn't mean that inflation is going to run rampant. Who do you believe, right? Um, because there's a lot of headlines that just don't do not agree with Fed Chairman Powell. Um, Fed now facing twin inflation growth risk as virus jumps and supply chains falter. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of inflation, and its spread throughout sectors of the economy proves it is not isolated or transitory. That's Mohammed El Arian. So I could go on and on and on. You know, the price of this of household items are soaring. Um, so, but we're, we do see a common thread, and and that's the idea that this Delta variant could stall the economy. We, we Every day we hear more and more threats or, or uh, headlines saying that the government may enforce masking again. They may try to you know, enforce vaccines. I don't think they'll enforce vaccines, but the idea that make it so much trouble if you don't have a vaccine to that it would make you go out and do one. Um, Ohio may start paying us to get vaccines. You know, it, it's just all this pressure. And there's a lot of people, we talk to a lot of our clients, uh, but our clients are not, the discussion of inflation starts from the day they walk in our door, whenever that is, because that is part of building a good economic model is that you're using conservative and realistic assumptions for things like inflation. And we talk a lot about that on this show and with our clients. So Once again, you're listening to Mark Donnelly. This is Financial Food for Thought, brought to you by the estate planning team. Carrie Waddell, she'll be back next week. She's playing mom this weekend, so hopefully she's having a good time with her family. And to get a hold of us, you can call the office. The number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. You can ask for a free consultation. We can do that in person. We can do it by phone. It's your choice. Our home office is in Middlebrook Heights, just off uh, 71 in Pearl, and we're easy to get to. We're also very easy over the phone. You can also visit our website, and that's the name of this radio show, financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string, lowercase, financialfoodforthought.com. We have news articles out there. We've got good calculators out there, plus a lot of news. You can sign up for a free consultation. You can also get a direct link to these podcasts. So we, we, you know, we do this show on Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock, and the station keeps a bank of them in the, of the past ones. And you can click in, on our Financial Food for Thought website and get a link to go directly to those. And if you missed one in the past or would like to go back and listen to previous ones, you can Take your choice and just pick the, pick the one out you want to hear. So are you worried about a Delta dip delay in this recovery? I know there's certain a lot of people are. And one of the words that's being thrown around is stagflation. Now, stagflation, what is stagflation? That, and people who remember the 70s versions of uh, recessions, re- certainly remember stagflation. It's the idea when inflation is high, 
the economic growth rate is slowing and unemployment remains steadily high. Okay, and this is a real dilemma. This is maybe the worst case scenario for our officials, whether it be the Federal Reserve, central bankers, or our politicians. Because a lot of times under those conditions, the economic policy, you know, intended to lower inflation may exacerbate the, the unemployment. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vortex. It's, it's, a, it's a revolving problem. And that's what you want to stay out of. That's why the, the, the government or the Federal Reserve is so, so concerned about keeping an eye on the labor market. And we didn't get great news on that front. So the weekly jobless, you know, initial jobless claims came out this week again at 400,000. Before they were looking for about three hundred eighty-five thousand, so they missed the forecast. Came out worse. It's still they're 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 stubbornly staying above four hundred thousand. So that's not good news in terms of you know what is going on with the labor market. Um, how about GDP? Remember the, the one of the second parts of stagflation is when economic growth rate starts slowing while you having higher inflation, right? So we got GDP. We got the first reading of the second quarter GDP. Now, the experts were looking for 8.5%. If you remember the first quarter, it was 4.3%. Uh, or I'm sorry, 6.3%. Or 6.4%. You know, one of those two. Around that 6.3, 6.4. So in the second quarter, though, they were, they were expecting larger GDP. They were, they were saying 8.5%. Well, it didn't come in exactly 8.5%. It came in at 6.5%. So that was a uh, somewhat of a disappointment. So we'll have to keep an eye on what the data is telling us. And I, I think if one thing Powell did accomplish is that in his speech or his press conference, at least he didn't cause huge waves that overturned at what everyone's thinking. In other words, the market still did, you know, didn't the market didn't have huge reactions. He didn't say anything earth shattering. He's still very calm. He's still very confident. And he's trying now his best to say, okay, what, what you guys, meaning what America or, or is thinking of what is transitory may not exactly what the federal reserve central bankers think is transitory. Of course, there's one person who doesn't want to see inflation. That's Joe Biden, President Biden. Biden inflation, right? He cannot, <laughs> they cannot stomach Biden inflation. So, of course, he's going to be uh, doing everything he can to calm Americans and continue to go along with Fed Chairman Powell's thinking and, and expertise saying that. This is not going to be uh, leading to hyperinflation or something beyond, you know, three, three and a half percent. And that after this growth period, after this recovery, it could go back to its norm or what it had been for the two decades previous to now, which was around two percent, which is the Fed's target for inflation. And I don't think we're going to have stagflation. It could it be stag light. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that could that would be a concern. So there's a Wall Street Journal article this week, and they again were bringing up the idea that the Delta variant could be a, a catalyst to have a, a delay the recovery and could tip us into a type of stag light inflation. Um, maybe not anything like we had in the 70s, but certainly not what the plans are for the president and the central bankers. So the article cites that you know U.S. economy grew rapidly in the second quarter and expected as expected expected its pre-pandemic size, but the outlook has suddenly turned cloudier due to the fast-spreading Delta coronavirus variant. Um, for now, uh, forecasters generally do not expect the Delta dip to make a major dent in the U.S. economy in part because business and customers have learned to adapt to each wave of the pandemic that we've seen. But experts also say, you know, there could, there could be a couple of ways where the Delta variant could derail this recovery. One, they state, is state and local governments 
could reimpose restrictions our, on businesses. Um, yeah, and, and that's not to say if businesses don't do it first. You know, we're, we're at a time we, we can look at the uh, some of the earnings because we're watching very closely the earnings this quarter. And the, the monster tech companies reported this week. And some of those companies have already <laughs> um, put in or putting back in restrictions. You know, Apple said it would require workers and customers to wear masks in more than half of its retail stores. Uh, Google Alphabet, you know, Google, uh, you know, delayed its return to the office plans until mid-October. So companies already, even without, you know, waiting for the government to force them, they're, they're acting. A second way that the Delta variant could derail this recovery, uh, consumers could curtail discretionary spending. You know, we saw that the travel picked up, the, the, the hospitality industry picked up, dining out, um, you know, going out, uh, uh, you know, not, not being afraid to go out of your house and, and go out to dinner and, and go out to a ball game and go out to a concert and take a trip, get on a cruise ship. Who knows? But if consumers get, you know, barred down with the fear of a Delta resurgence, will that, you know, stop that? So whereas we thought perhaps that we were this beach ball recovery, everything was great and, and we survived it. And, you know, well, maybe the future is not so bright and you may want to take off your rose colored shades and for your own peace of mind, create a financial model or an economic model that says, what if, what if we don't have as bright or as quick as a recovery as what we were thinking. What if the inflation doesn't go back down to the 2% like Fed Chairman Powell is confident it will and like President Biden and some of the other politicians are confident it will and that their other moves, they're, they're more concerned about getting the labor market back. Well, when we're going to start seeing those weekly jobless claims decline as opposed to stubbornly staying over 400,000? Is it when the unemployment checks run out? I, I don't know. Um, but we'll see. When, is it when everyone goes back to school? The kids go back to school so the stay-home moms can go back to work? Perhaps, you know, it, will, will, it, will, the, will the unemployment numbers go down when the companies get stuck in the, in, in the wage inflation and say, hey, if we want to attract good employees so we can keep our doors open, we might have to pay more. And, that, you know, will that get people back to work? So the point is, how does this affect your planning? Well, the point is, you could sit home and worry about it, meaning that, you know, you're just saying, well, I'm going to, it's my, this, this Delta, you know, dip or this inflation, it's, it's going to derail my planned retirement. Let's say you're planning on retiring in the next couple few years, or perhaps you're already in retirement and you're living off social security and required minimum distributions. And you're saying, oh, is this, you know, is this price, are these price increases, this runaway inflation going to make me run out of money before life? That's always a concern, whether we have a Delta variant going on or not, quite frankly. I mean, like I said, we at the state planning team, we've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And, and over those decades, we've never not talked about building financial models that you, that you have to keep up with, meaning that you don't do a financial model once and put it in the sock drawer for 30 years. And by the way, you also just don't ask your neighbor. In other words, you don't want to ask your neighbor if they think you should be worried about inflation. All right. You need to you need to have a way to determine if you should be or shouldn't be. And the only way we know, or at least how we can help you do that, is by building you a financial model where you're looking out over the next 30 years and you're making assumptions for not only inflation, and again, 
getting realistic about inflation assumptions, meaning we just don't use the same inflation factor for every expense that you have. That's not realistic. But if we can get realistic and conservative assumptions and like, let's take daily living expenses. So let's say, yeah, over the last 15 years, daily living expenses have probably been under 2% inflation. Um, okay, so you might want to run your next financial model. We sometimes we call that a plan R, right, for recession or recovery or just the idea that you're running a more conservative uh, assumption or a worst case assumption, you know, different from your plan A model, which you think is what, we, what you're experiencing right now. And in that alternative plan model, you use higher rates of inflation just to see what the long-term effect is. Before you just make a knee-jerk reaction and listen to your neighbor who says, you know, the sky's falling and we're all going to, you know, wind up on skid row. And the, and the world's going to end, the stock market's going to crash, our, and, and they're going to steal all our money out of the banks. I, I'm Seriously, this is what I hear people calling up the radio shows across the country. And it's like, no, we, you got to take a step back. And you've got to take the political aspects out of it. You, you know, it's no surprise that you're going to hear from the Republicans who are going to do everything they can to get back in power, continue to tell you that Biden inflation is going to ruin your retirement and bankrupt this country. Now, on the other side, the Democrats are going to try to win you over and keep you voting Democrat because they keep telling you, hey, we know how to save the middle class. It's those big, bad corporations. It's those billionaires and, and multimillionaires, that's the problem. They're just taking advantage of our, co- our complicated tax code, and they're doing things to prevent, you know, to, to lessen their tax load, and, and we got to beef up the IRS, and, and we've got to go after those billionaires and millionaires, and we got to share their wealth. And that's how we'll pull through this. Well, I don't think you really... You know, you have no control over either end of that spectrum. You have no control of what the stock market does. You have no control when the Federal Reserve tapers or takes off tapering or raises interest rates. You have no control over inflation. So don't get too concerned or spend too much time worrying about things that are totally beyond your control. Focus instead on things that are within your control. And that's the start of understanding the discipline of good financial planning, where you're just not sitting home worrying whether you can retire next year or following year, or whether you're already in retirement, are you going to run out of money before life, or whether you're worried about a future long-term care stay, or you're worried about rising health care costs, um, or the you know your utility costs, or what have you or you're worried about a stock market crash, uh, or you're worried that they'll never raise interest rates so your CDs will never be over 1% ever, ever, ever again. Instead of just worrying about those things that are beyond your control, concentrate on building a model that says, okay, let's look at a couple different scenarios. What if, what if fixed rates don't come up for two years? What if the stock market has a correction in the next 12 months? What if we see inflation for the next five years uh, float above 3%? And by running a model, we can then look out and say, am I still going to be okay? Or if I'm not, what adjustments do I need to make to be okay? As opposed to just making a knee-jerk reaction and saying, my retirement plans are ruined. All right, so if you would like help, when building a financial model with these different variations or different, um, you, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, these different scenarios, worst case scenarios, that's what we help clients do. And we've been doing it for 35 years. So you can contact us. Our phone number is 
440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or you can visit us at financialfoodforthought.com. And you can sign up for a consultation there. You can just call and no one's in the office over the weekend. You can just leave a message. And Carrie, who is not with me today, she's off running around with the family. Um, but she'll be she'll get you called back on Monday uh, to get to schedule your consultation. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. The other thing we've been doing on this radio show for the month of July has been focusing on IRAs. And, and we use that term broadly. That could be 401Ks, 403Bs, simple SEPs. Kios, top hats, you know, all those tax qualified plans that typically you start you need to deal with, of course, when you get into retirement. And those are the ones that have those crazy rules, you know, that when can you start taking it out without, you know, penalty, the 59 and a half rule, or if it's a company plan, could be the 55 age rule. Of course, also is when required minimum distributions begin. And under the new Secure Act that was passed in December of 19, it, it, it increased the RMD date from age 70 and a half to age 72. So there are all those. And then, and also that secure act changed the stretch IRA actually pretty much did away with the stretch IRA. So now the general rule for a non-spouse beneficiary is that they have 10 years to get the inherited IRA out. So all those people are getting familiar with, and, and we may see more changes. The secure act two, which we talked about a few weeks ago on this show may change some of those rules even more. But one of the things that we talk about with the IRAs is, and I'm just going to use IRAs again generally, is the rollover failures. And this is something that has happened as long as IRAs have been out there. And, and, if, and if you don't believe me, just go to the IRS tax court cases and you'd see how many families wound up in tax court because they didn't understand the IRA rules and they weren't happy when they got the fan mail from the IRS. Don't blame the IRS. They don't pass the laws. Congress, blame your congressman for the complicated tax code. IRS's job is just to watchdog it. And we, so a lot of times when we're talking, we're doing shows on I, and IRAs, I like to go, well, what are some of these failures? And, and there's a lot of different ones that, you know, people wind up in tax court. But the one I'm focusing on today is the rollover failures. And that's the idea you might have heard along the way that you can do a IRA rollover. And so the idea is you could take money out of one IRA and put it into another IRA. You may be switching companies or custodians, for example. But there's this, you've heard of this 60-day rule, meaning that you have to get that change over, that transfer over done within 60 days. Okay, so under Internal Revenue Code Section 408D3, an individual who has taken distribution from a retirement account can redeposit the money into another IRA within 60 days of when the distribution is received. As long as this rollover of the funds occurs in a timely manner, no tax consequences result from the preceding distribution. Okay. Now, it seems simple enough, but I can't tell you how many taxpayers have failed the 60-day rule. And that's a hard threshold. The code is bright on that. It doesn't mean you have 61 days. It doesn't mean weekends don't count. It's 60 days. Okay. Um, there's also a, 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 a obscure rule in the law that says how many of these you can do in any 12 months. Okay. So the current once per year rollover rule that allows someone to do one rollover within a 12-month period from any or all IRA accounts, you know, in other words, and it's a 12 month period. It's not a calendar year. It's a 12 month period. That's caught a lot of taxpayers by surprise. And it doesn't matter. You can't say, Oh, I, I can do one rollover from this IRA account. And I got another IRA account. I can do another roll. No, it's once every 12 months. Now, 
it's an easy way not to get caught up in those rules is if you don't do it the way this you know is laid out that you do it because the the more preferred way if you're trying to move money from one IRA to another IRA is to do a trustee to trustee transfer or a custodian to custodian meaning that you don't get the money sent to you where you deposit the check from broker A into your bank account and then write a check to deposit in broker B within 60 days. That's you're falling under these rollover rules. And and as, as opposed to that, if you just tell broker A to send directly the money to broker B and a custodian to custodian or a trustee to trustee transfer, then you can do as many of those as you want. You're not limited by the once every 12 months or the 60 days because that's a direct transfer from custodian to custodian. That's the preferable way to do it. But over the decades, you know, this is where lack of a coordinated advisors has hurt many taxpayers. All right, because they they you know, they they they've missed the um they've missed those 60 days. And and you say, "Well, why why did the professionals they're working with the investment advisors why did they tell them to do it that way mark well that's a very good question now when we are working with our client and we and team that's why team is in our name the estate planning team is that we help coordinate that and we certainly do not allow a uh, investment advisor to tell our clients who, that, that's fine. If a client wants to move an IRA from investment advisor A and wants to move it to investment advisor B, that's fine. That's their decision. But if investment advisor B says, hey, Mr. Uh, client, don't do, we're not going to set up a custodian custodian transfer because that takes too long. They want the money quicker. So instead, just tell your existing broker to send you a check because that comes out to you quicker. And then that's so you can, and then once you get the check, Mr. Client, then give that check to me. See, it gets it in their account a lot quicker. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason why they recommend you do it that way. I'll let you determine that. But when we are working with the client, we do, we, we, we certainly talk to our client and say, yeah, that may be quicker. If that's your, you know, if you're dying to get it done as fast as possible, but we don't recommend it because we have read the court cases where 60 day rollovers have failed. Now, what happens if you do fail? Um, well, there's a famous court case that was from 1971. And it was Wood, the, the, the taxpayer's name was Wood versus, you know, the IRS. Um, and what happened was Mr. Wood failed on his rollover. But he complained, or I don't know if he said complained, but he kind of said, it, you know, it wasn't my fault. All right. And he said he did everything right. In other words, and and the problem was in the in the in the case. I'm trying to see if I can find it. Um, yeah. So in the case, what happened was he received a lump sum distribution. You know, he's, he's, he was leaving a company. He was leaving his profit sharing plan. So the the distribution was a combination of cash and stocks, and he established an IRA, a rollover IRA, with Merrill Lynch. And instructed the account executive to transfer the entire distribution into the IRA. Okay, so, but what what happened was there was some type of bookkeeping error and, and the stock didn't get transferred over. And it got somehow distributed to him. So then he then missed the 60 days to get it in. So he complained and said, hey, it's not my fault, IRS. And he won that case. Because the IRS said, yeah, we understand you did everything you could um, and it wasn't your fault. So sometimes, you know, if it's if you can prove that it wasn't your fault, then we've seen lots of cases like this since that Wood case in 71. In other words, where the client or the taxpayer told his, um, you know, got the check to the new 
uh, or to the IRA within the 60 days. But for whatever reason, it sat around on somebody's desk. It got lost in the mail. You know all the excuses. It didn't get executed by the 60 days. And so he gets the fan mail from the IRS, right? Um, now, a lot of people say, well, Mark, you know, what, what we'll do is, uh, you know, because this happens so often, a lot of times people would get would ask for a, a public letter ruling. That's where you go to the IRS and say, hey, this is my circumstances. Um, I'm I'm trying, you know, I realize now that I missed the 60 days for whatever reasons. But I, you know, do I, you know, I, I still can I get it done? You know, you know, slap my wrist, whatever. Sorry, it won't happen again. And can you just let me do it? And when you ask for a public letter ruling, a lot of times the IRS, then, then they're looking more than if you just call them up on the phone, right? It's, it's a much more uh, legalese or a much more form- formality. But they're not free, okay? Um, I believe also, you know, for uh, to, to get a PLR, you know, for late rollovers, I think the IRS charges about 12000 bucks. So, yeah, I mean, in other words, depending on how big of an issue it is, uh, you know, do you want to be paying, uh, you know, 12,000 bucks to get a possible, you know, exception? If you, if you, well, um, but again, because this problem was so rampant that now the, the IRS in 2016 came out with a revenue procedure that said, all right, we're going to, um, we can offer other relief for the taxpayers who find themselves in this unfortunate situation. And it's Revenue Procedure 2016-47. And instead of being required to request a private letter ruling to receive a hardship waiver for a late 60-day IRA rollover and potentially waiting a year for the IRS to respond to ruling requests. In the RONA shutdown, it may be much longer than a year. Um, individuals will be able to self-certify to their financial institution that the rollover they're making complies with the rollover requirements, even if it doesn't otherwise meet the 60-day rollover period. Hmm, this is interesting. Now, notably, though, if the taxpayer has already requested relief from the IRS for a rollover and has been denied, then this self-certification provisions will not relieve that. Okay, so it's more of a proactive, you know, where you're, you're going fast. And the, the IRS gives you 11 common examples, not examples, where, you know, situations where you, you will be relieved. They, they won't hold you responsible for missing the 60-day, that hard threshold 60-day rollover requirement. One is if an error was committed by the financial institution receiving the rollover contribution or making the distribution to which the rollover relates. So let's say you requested your custodian A to do it on, on January 1st and they don't get around to it till March. Well, what else could you do? I mean, you, you, you know, if, it's their fault. They sat on it. Two, the distribution having been made in the form of a check was misplaced and never cashed. Not that a check was ever lost in the mail. So I'm sure that doesn't happen too often. Another problem with uh, getting the check mailed to you, much you don't have those problems when you're doing a direct custodian-custodian transfer because a lot of times that's an electronic transfer, so there's no lost check in the mail. Three, the distribution was deposited into and remained in an account that the taxpayer mistakenly thought was an eligible retirement plan. There's lots of court cases about that you know, where the client told the broker to set up an IRA for me and thought that the broker understood what they meant by setting up an IRA when, in fact, the broker set up a non-qualified account to, to, to take the transfer. Whoops. Um, number four, the taxpayer's principal residence was severely damaged. Okay, five, a member of the taxpayer's family died. It's always a, it's always a case to, to get out of um, a tax penalty. If, if you have uh, emotional things like that going on, they, they're lean, very lenient on that. Number six, the taxpayer, a member of the taxpayer's family, was seriously ill so, so, along the same lines. Number seven, the taxpayer was incarcerated. You'll get relief there. Number eight, restrictions were imposed by a foreign country. Now we're getting kind of into the weeds. 
Number nine, a postal error occurred. Not that we've ever had a postal error in the last few years. God forbid. Number 10, the distribution was made as a levy to collect prior taxes owed, but the proceeds of the levy have been returned to the taxpayer. That's really in the weeds. Um, or 11, the party making the distribution to which the rollover relates, delaying, providing information that the receiving plan or IRA required to complete the rollover despite the taxpayer's reasonable efforts to obtain the information. A long way of saying, it's my broker's fault, not mine. Um, now, furthermore, the, 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 the notice goes on to say that in order to qualify the individual must still actually complete the rollover as soon as practical after the reasons limiting the rollover are no longer present. You know, for example, after you recover from being sick or once the lost check is reissued. And they give a safe harbor saying any rollover contribution that occurs within 30 days is presumed to have been done so as soon as practical. So there's some relief. So again, when you, we always say when, if you do get fan mail from the IRS, you know, you don't necessarily have to panic. Okay. You can, you know, they're willing to work with you. First, you've got to clarify, you know, what does, but if you realize if you're doing this rollover and you miss the 60 days, there is this relief, the self-certification, you want to follow that. But also, if you want to stay away from the whole issue of the problems with 60-day rollover failures, don't do it that way. Just keep, you know, re just remember, as long as you go from a custodian to custodian, a direct transfer, or sometimes we call that trustee to trustee, where the money doesn't go to you and then you're redepositing it into the, 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 the bank or the IRA, that does not put you in this 60 day time period and you can do as many trustee to trustee transfers as you want in a 12 month period. You're not limited to the one. Now there also is a case, a very famous case where the rollover failure is illustrated, but it's not with the taxpayer's own IRA. It has to deal with an inherited IRA, or sometimes it's called a beneficiary IRA. And that is the, what's, what sparked that case is that we just spent some time talking about the 60-day rollover, but for inherited IRAs, the 60-day rollover is not available. Okay? And that has caught many of uh, children who are inheriting their IRAs to end up in tax court, or at least pay IRA, you know, get some fan mail from the IRS. Now, the case I'm referring to is Elizabeth Beach. Okay. And this is a case from 2012. It's tax court summary opinion 2012-74, if you want to look it up. And, Situation was Lizzie Beach, her mom passed away. And her mom, you know, one of you know, was leaving her IRA to Elizabeth. Okay, there's about thirty-eight thousand dollars. It's not a huge this is this isn't a Jeff Bezos, you know, court case. This is but the IRS does you know, the law is the law. I'm sorry. So the Mom all, you know, was trying to leave her $38,000 IRA to her daughter. Now, while it was with the mom, the custodian, the investment advisor was City Smith Barney. Okay. But Lizzie didn't want to use, you know, Smith Barney. She wanted to put the money into her American funds. And so she was going to, now the, the court case doesn't get into the weeds saying if the American, if she was working and getting instructions from the American funds or whether she was working directly with Smith Barney. But in either case, what happened was 
she when she inherited the money, she did a couple things. One, she needed a little bit of cash flow. So she requested a check, you know, for like 2800 bucks. So Smith Barney sent her a check out for 2800 bucks. And then she said, you know, I also wanted then the balance. I'm going to, you know, she's thinking she's going to roll it to her American Funds IRA. Okay, and not trigger any more taxes. She knows she's going to be taxed on the 2800 Okay, but she instructed, or apparently Smith Barney didn't do a custodian-custodian transfer. They sent the $35,000 check to her. So she, okay. Now, whether that was on the direction of her American funds, I don't know. You, you, you know, that's not mentioned in the court case. And remember, if you wind up in tax court, your broker isn't there. You're there. You know, just remember that. So she took the 35000 and she, you know, deposit, you know, put it in her bank account, wrote a check, and sent it to American Funds, who opened an inherited IRA. Now, in other words, yeah, they didn't make the mistake of opening up her own IRA. Remember, only a spousal can do the rollover thing. American Funds knew about it because they knew to set up an inherited IRA. And they did that properly. The mistake was there's no 60-day rollover option for an inherited IRA. And, you know, you've read the, 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 the great wealth transfer stats that are going on right now and statistics going on right now saying this baby boomer generation is planning on transferring a lot of money and a lot of that money is in IRAs to their children. Okay. And that is, you know, going to be a big issue going forward. So, so if, if you are not expecting to inheriting any IRAs from your parents, but you're expecting to maybe leave an IRA to your children, make sure they understand these rules, right? So, so what happened was she, you know, the IRS, when they got her tax return, of course, she didn't report the 30, you know, 5,000 as a taxable distribution. In her mind, it was a rollover. Um, you know, she, she got the deficiency notice, uh, you know, and that wasn't, you know, an eye opener, of course. Um, and, you know, on top of the... <laughs> On top of the, uh, you know, now that because she really owed taxes, not on 35000 but because that was such a big error on her return, she got slapped with the, you know, dreaded 6662 accuracy penalty. So she owed $9,200 you know, on the taxes, another $1,800 on the penalty. Okay, so we're talking about you know eleven thousand fifty four. So when her, you know where she thought she was going to be rolling over thirty five thousand dollars into her own IRA, actually it was twenty four thousand three hundred four. So in the end, the government ended up getting about thirty one percent of mom's IRA, and Lizzie got about sixty nine percent. So that's she wasn't happy. That's why she wanted up in tax court. Now, in tax court, though, the problem was they didn't um, <laughs> they didn't have a, a good defense. They quoted that Wood case that I'm talking about, but the Wood case was a different situation. That wasn't an inherited IRA. Wood had had the right to do a 60-day rollover. Lizzie didn't, so that failed miserably in court. And they said, "Sorry, the rule is the rule." Um, and then they tried to blame it on the, you know, that, that she did everything in, intentionally that to do the rollover and, and, and the court, you know, she argued about that, but the court saying, well, there's nothing we can do. We can't change the law. We're just enforcing the law. Um, and, you know, in the end, they said, you know, we've considered all the petitioner's arguments and to the extent not addressed herein, we conclude that they are mute, irrelevant, or without merit. So if you'd like to prevent these types of fan mails received from the IRS, the first thing we say is get a good coordinated advisors. Make sure your advisors are talking to another and everybody's on the same page of what you're trying to do and the T's that have to be crossed and the I's have to be dotted so you don't run afoul of the very complicated tax rules. And that's what coordination is all about. And if you'd like help with that, you can always call us, State Planning Team Incorporated. The number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or, you know, you can go to our website, financialfoodforthought.com. 
contact us that way. We have a few minutes left. So we lost one of the rock and roll baby boomers this week. The great ZZ Top. Dusty Hill, who was the bass player. Yeah, he was one of the ones that had the long beard. Out of, you know, born out of Dallas, Texas. Joseph Michael Hill. The other two members, of course, Billy Gibbons and Frank Beard, who was the drummer, was ironically the one who didn't have a beard. Dusty was 72. That's not that old. Much too young. Not a whole lot of information on how he died. They just said he died in his sleep. He was married. Charlene McCory was... It was a late marriage. They got married in 2002. Actually, the band is still... was You know... In July, they, they they were on the road, and and what happened apparently was Dusty was going through some other medical issues, including I think he had a bad hip or something, so he had to bow out and and, and can't and, and go home, and the, you know the the, the group had a, a, another bassist step in from to finish the tour, and then and then they got the bad news. He did have a child from a previous relationship, I think before, actually, he got the ZZ Top thing. Charity Hill. That's a great name. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? Charity Hill. I'd like to live on Charity Hill. But it's funny because he, he, he would tell the story that Charity wanted to follow her father's footsteps and become a musician. And he talked her out of it. He didn't push her that way. He uh, and he was successful. <laughs> All right, to change his daughter's mind, and she went and chose law school instead. Who would have thought? So we'll certainly miss Dusty Hill. Uh, we'll, and hopefully the the band you know continue and. And maybe, you know, with all the problems going on in the world, <laughs> maybe Dusty's going to a better place. Hey, hey, take me with you, Dusty. Sometimes, you know, they may be going to a better place. So, if you'd like help building a financial plan, you can give us a call. You can come in for a consultation. I don't know if we're going to be doing classes yet in the fall. We'll see how the Delta variant goes to see if we go back to masking and you know, distancing and all that good stuff. But we might, we might start, but don't let that hold up building your retirement plan. And uh, listen to Mark Donnelly and Carrie Waddell will be back with me next week. So until then, have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.